Well, I want to start off today uh, with a confession. Uh, if you've been coming to the chapel for a long time, you know I'm pretty honest and transparent with my life. I want to share my life with you. And so I want to just start off by getting something off my chest. I've been praying about it. Uh, is this something I really want to share publicly? And um, I decided I want to. I've been listening to Christmas music since the day after Halloween. I'll be honest with you. How many of you would agree that you've been doing that as well? Come on. Cool. 15 of you out of the hundreds here. Does anyone have a support group? Because I would like to go to that. I am one of those people that love Christmas music. Right after we celebrate Halloween, at midnight, you better believe I'm finding the Christmas station that's on in the radio, or I'm going to put it on my phone. And Star 102 had Christmas music playing in early November, and it has not left our van or my car for the whole last two months. See, I'm one of those guys. I just love the Christmas music. Michael Buble, Frank Sinatra. Pentatonics, Pastor Todd's favorite, Mariah Carey. It's so, the music, it's just so incredible. And my favorite songs of all the Christmas songs are the carols. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor, but I remember growing up, I didn't go to church. So at Christmas time, you know, we celebrated Christmas, but we didn't celebrate Jesus' birth. And so I remember listening to Christmas music, and then these carols would come on. And I was enamored by the song and enamored by what it was saying. And I didn't understand really the truth until I discovered Christ and realized these songs are singing or are about the Christ coming. And now I sing those songs, Oh Holy Night, Angels We Have Heard on High. These, these classic songs I sing with a little more conviction because I know what they're about. And that's why we want to talk about the carols over these last couple weeks. We want to look at these songs of of meaning and purpose, and then see where do they come from in Scripture. And so I get to share today one of my favorite carols, and maybe it's one of yours too. It's Joy to the World. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the lyrics on the screen, and I'm going to read them to you, and then at the end of each stanza, I'm just going to let it sit. And I want you just to reflect and sit in these powerful, truthful words, all right? Joy to the World. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains... Repeat the sounding joy. Whoops, sorry about that. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. And then finally, I don't know why it's doing that. Sorry. Oh, oh, there we go. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. When I started to research this song, I'm going to try to click it once here and see what happens. There we go. 
I found out that it was by a guy named Isaac Watts, and it was written 300 years to the year in 1719. And it's the most popular carol in the 20th century. All of us probably know Joy to the World. It's very well known. But what I did not know especially is that when Isaac Watts wrote this, it was not intended or at least originally written as a Christmas song. It was actually written as a poem. Isaac Watts loved writing poetry. He had collections of poetry. And he wrote this poem based on Psalm 98. Well, someone came along years later, put music to it, and now we sing it at Christmas. But originally, it was just a poem written by Isaac Watts. And so I want to read the portion of Psalm 98 to you where this song originates from. And it's from another poem, a Hebrew poem. Psalm 98, verse 4 through 9. It says, Shout to the Lord all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord the King. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all the living things join in. Let the rivers clap with their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the earth with justice and the nations with fairness. Now when I go back to this first verse, shout to the Lord all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy. What the psalmist is saying is, look, no matter what is going around you, what happening around you, we need to turn our attention back to the Lord. And when he takes center stage in our life, we should be able to shout his name, sing his praise. Our heart should overflow with joy. We should be so enamored with who God is and what he is doing that our lives should literally be a praise song. It's the reason why Isaac Watts sings joy to the world. It's a powerful song. Now, I don't know about you, but This Christmas season, oftentimes my attention is on anything but Jesus. If I had to sum up this this Christmas season in one word, it would be the word busy. Everyone's busy. And while that's really, really good, and that we're busy buying presents for the the ones we love, and gathering with our family and friends, and, and celebrating with each other, I wonder... If the busyness, though, has taken over and we've lost the meaning of what Christmas is all about, that this season has turned into a consumeristic, scattered, busy, overwhelming time where a lot of people that I talk to can't wait till it's over so we can move on and get back to our normal lives. How sad is it that Jesus has come and that he wants this time to be a time where we focus on him and then our lives should overflow of that focus. We've often turned to something else. All I want to do three days before Christmas is just for the next few moments, let the busyness and the presence and the gatherings and all the things we have to go do subside and put Jesus back in the spotlight and what he deserves. 
we should be singing praise and singing for joy because the story of Christmas is spectacular, amazing. The story of Christmas is the story of God coming to us and for us. Is that not incredible? Think of that truth for a moment. That God has come to this earth to us and for us. One of the things I love about the chapel is that we love when people come to the church from wherever they are at. Whatever they believe, whatever their church background, whatever they have been going through, the chapel is a welcoming place for everybody. It's why when we're talking about people in the room, we have different meanings and different titles for people for where they're at in the spiritual journey. And one of those titles that we say is even before coming to Jesus is the title of explorer. Somebody who is coming to the chapel, and yes, they may be exploring the chapel to see if this is their home, but they're also exploring Jesus to see what he has to say is true for their lives. And so if you are an explorer, I just want to talk to you just for a moment. Many explorers that I talk to wouldn't label themselves as an atheist. Some do. But many of them have moved from atheism to what we call Gnosticism. Or agnosticism excuse me. And to be an agnostic is somebody who would say, okay, as I look around at the world and I, I look at the complexity of my life and I see everything around, there's got to be something out there. A God a being, a force, let the force be with you, Star Wars, anybody? I've never seen Star Wars. I know, you can judge me later if you want, but, but there's something out there in the heavens, in the realm, beyond the planets, there's something out there. I just don't know what it is. And many times when I talk to an agnostic and we start to talk about God, I ask that person to describe what God would look like in their mind or what he, what he or she should do in order to have a relationship with God. And many times in that conversation, when we're talking about God, it's almost as if they say, you know, if there is a God or whatever out there, I know that I need to be a good person. I have a moral compass and I always want it to go north. And I want to make sure that I'm living a good life. And I say, well, why do you think that you should live a good life? And they say, well, if there is a God or something out there, and after I die, I get to be with that God, then I want to make sure I've done enough to tip the scales in my favor. And I looked at him or her in this conversation, and I always say, man, that makes total sense. In fact, if you were to look at other philosophies or other religions, that's exactly what they would say in some sort. That there's a God out there, that he's up there doing whatever he wants. Oftentimes he's pretty busy, but he has told you some rules to abide by. And if you abide by these rules in your life, and you've done enough, in the end you will see him when you die. It makes a lot of sense. And then I often say, however, what if there is a God who you don't have to go try to figure out who he is or how to get to him someday? What if there is a God that has come to you? C.S. Lewis, he was um, in this gathering of people, and they were talking about different religions, and they were going about this conversation back and forth. What makes the differences in all these religions? C.S. Lewis, he walks into the conversation, he says, what are you guys talking about? 
And they say, well, we're talking about different religions, and we're trying to figure out what the difference is. And C.S. Lewis has a mic drop. Here's what he says. He goes, the difference is grace, and he walks out the door. Grace is God coming to us. That's the difference. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate a God that has come to us. And what's so amazing about this God is if I were this God, I would say, okay, I'm coming to this world, but you better have a lot of bubble wrap. (laughs) I want to be in a bubble wrap. I want to be in a bubble. I don't want to have to talk to people that are messed up. I don't want to incur pain or incur suffering. I just want to come and then leave. Our God doesn't do that. Our God is born in a stable where it's disgusting. You would think this God would be born into a royal celebration, but no, he's, he's born into a celebration. No one even knows it's happening. And here he is, he's born, and then he lives this perfect life. But not only does he live this perfect life, he lives and he, and he incurs suffering and pain and sorrow and loneliness and death itself. And he dies on the cross He dies with my sin and yours, my death and yours, my past and yours, my future and yours. He dies for all of that. And then three days later, he rises from the grave. He comes to us, not because he is bored, not because he needs you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they have each other. They don't need anything else. It's perfect. They are not bored. They don't need you, but they want you, which is why God doesn't just come to this earth. He comes for you. One of my favorite parts of the song is joy to the world. The Lord is come. And then John, the gospel writer, says, so the word became human, and there it is. He made his home among us. The, 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 the version of uh, the message says, he has come and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. It gives me a picture right where I am, right where I live, right where my home is. There is God. And what I love about this part is he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. You and I are conditional beings. You and I oftentimes withhold our love from somebody if they don't meet our standards or we're mad at them or we want to get back at them or whatever it is, we will be loving so long as that person deserves it. And God is the complete opposite. Though we don't deserve it, God loves us. It's unconditional. And more than that, it's pursuing That's the thing about God that just blows my mind. Every single person that lives their own lives and doesn't want God at the center of their lives, God is still pursuing them because he wants that relationship, because he's in love with them. And I also love that the gospel writer says he's full of this unconditional pursuing love, but he's also faithful. I wish I could stand up here and say, Jesus is always at the center of my life, and therefore I am faithful to him. I love people well, and I love God perfectly. But I can't. I try really hard, but there's something in me that holds me back. 
It's my sin. It's my selfishness. I am unfaithful so often to God. But God remains faithful to you and I. When we turn our backs on him all of the time, he never turns his back on us. And then the verse goes on to say, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. But the thing about God's love, though, he's not going to force it upon you. (laughs) This is what he says right here. He says, let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room. This God who has come to you, this God that has come for you, will not pin you down and say, love me. (laughs) Love is an act of the will. Love is a choice. Love is something that you want to allow to happen. And God will never force you. He does not want you to be a robot. He wants you to choose him. But the thing about God's love is he makes it irresistible. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is found in Revelation chapter 3. I just love this. Look, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Here is this God who has come to us and for us. He's moved into your neighborhood and he's come over to bring you cookies. He's the one that moved in, but he's the one that shows up. He's the one that knocks on the door. He's the one that wants to have that relationship with you. He's the one that has done all the work. He's come to this earth. He's died. He's rose again. He's done it all. All we have to do is open the door and receive him. Isn't that amazing? But it's also the hardest thing. Though it is irresistible, we resist him. And yet this Christmas, wouldn't it be incredible? Beyond the gifts, beyond the food, beyond the celebration, wouldn't it be amazing to let Jesus in? You know, for some of us in this room, we are Christ followers and we've been following Jesus for either a long time or maybe a short time. But along the way, and sometimes, which is scary, is we don't recognize it. We have pushed God out of our house and have just gently closed the door. There are some of us, when we look at our lives, we don't see God in the house. We have lived, we are living our lives just in our own strength, and we recognize how that's destructive. Destructive internally, destructive in relationships with other people, and destructive in our relationship with God. And for those of you that have pushed him out, and you may not even have recognized it, you should be hearing a knock. Because every time we do that, he still knocks. Why don't you open the door to him this Christmas? Let him be the center of your life again. And for those who have grown up, and maybe you know this truth, and you've never let God in, he has never, ever left your doorstep. He has never stopped knocking. And maybe today is the day that you let him in. In fact, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm going to pray, and if you are here and you're like, wow, I didn't know this is this kind of God that revealed himself to me. He wants a relationship with me. He's actually come to my door, my life. He's knocking. All you have to do is let him in. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can just pray in your heart to let him into your life. So why don't you all pray with me? And if that is you wanting to let Jesus in for the first time, I would love to pray with you.
you can just say this in your heart. Father, thank you for Jesus. I want this Christmas to be about you. I open the door of my life to Jesus. Would you come in and be the leader and savior of my life? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Nothing magical about that. You don't have to have all these weird spiritual feelings. It's a choice of the will to let him in. And if you have said that this morning, today, this Christmas is totally different than any other Christmas. And so if, you, if that is you, come talk to me. Because Christmas, it's so beautiful. It's the story of God coming to us and for us. However, I want to address an elephant in the room. <laughs> though we should always praise, those we should always sing joy, it is really, really difficult to practically do that on a daily basis, isn't it? Like, I know we're supposed to sing hallelujah, praise to the Lord, Lord, joy to the world. He's incredible. He's amazing. But what happens when I can't do that? What happens when it doesn't feel that way? What happens when I'm looking at life and it is so hard? I was talking to someone last night on the phone, and, and she literally says, Pastor Eric, I'm sorry to even say this, but I can't even pray. How are we supposed to have joy then? Over the last couple weeks, I don't know what it's been. Maybe for you, but the December, I am ready for Christmas. I need a break from all the pain and the suffering and the struggles. One of my close friends at our Norwalk campus who's struggling with cancer, I got the, the text that he had a seizure at work, and that is always a sign of something terrible. So many people dealing with hospital stays and unexpected diagnoses. I, I was on Facebook last night, and one of my friends is mutual friends with this mom who just passed away from cancer, leaves a husband and four little kids behind. And I'm sitting there thinking, I, I don't know how they can celebrate Christmas this year. You know the pain and the suffering and the hardship in your life. And while you're saying, I want to sing joy to the Lord, I don't know how. Two weeks ago on a Saturday night, my wife and I were getting uh, ready to go to uh, the special needs prom. It's something that I told you about a couple months ago, and, and we've been looking so forward to going. And it was about that time, and I was getting ready. And as I was in the restroom getting ready, I felt like I got tased. All of a sudden, my back started spasming and it locked up and I went down to the ground. And for the next 20 minutes, it felt like every 10 seconds I was getting electrocuted. I was in so much pain. I, I, my wife didn't know what to do. My kids are coming in. They're seeing dad on the ground. And finally, after a little while, I crawl up into bed and there I am. I'm just in as much pain as I've been in in a long, long time. And the next day, I didn't go to the special needs prom. The next day, I was supposed to teach in Port Clinton. And I got out of bed, and I was getting dressed. I could barely put on my shoes. And I'm driving to Port Clinton. I get across the Bayview Bridge, and I call our campus pastor, Ryan. I say, Ryan, I don't think I can get out of the car. Somehow, I get in there. I'm hunched over. I collapse when I get into the worship center. They have to help me back up. I somehow teach... I go back into the green room, which is behind there. I'm on the ground. A chiropractor comes and helps me. I'm icing my back. 
between the services leading up to it, I'm, I'm hovered over a trash can because I can't stand up straight. I get through second service. I go home. I immediately start taking medication. I'm in so much pain. The next day, I try to come into the, to work. I'm hunched over, and pastors Mark and Todd are like, what are you doing here? And I try to lay on the couch. I couldn't do it. I had to go home. And all week, I was in this horrendous back pain. But the funny part, if there can be a funny part is, I had to teach that weekend, and the following weekend's about having joy. And all I could think about is my pain and my suffering. And then all I could think about is, what is my future going to look like? What if this starts happening to me? What if this continues to be my life? You all know what pain and suffering is. And you know how it feels in the midst of this darkness. How can you sing joy to the world? One of the best things about Jesus is that he always tells the truth. He will look you in the eye and tell you what you want to hear, whether you want it or not. I love that about Jesus. It makes it hard, but I love that. And there is a verse in the Gospels that Jesus looks at everyone, in, everyone and he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Aren't you grateful for a Savior that looks at you and says, listen, when you come to me, don't act like I'm just going to take away all your problems. In this world, whatever you believe, but even you, Christ follower, you will suffer. But, Jesus says, you will have pain and suffering, but I have overcome the world. This world of pain and suffering it is real, but it's not the end. That's why Christmas is not just the story of Jesus coming to us and for us. It's the story of Jesus coming to us and for us again. Theologians call this the already but not yet tension of the Bible. Jesus has already come. But he's not come again. And we live in the middle of that. And what God is telling us is, look how faithful I was then and look ahead in hope because I will be faithful again. It's what Psalm 98 is saying at the end of the passage. It says, let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the earth with justice and the nations with fairness. When the, when the author of this psalm says, let the rivers clap and the hills sing out, well, of course they really can't do that. But it's symbolism of something that isn't right now, but it will be right again. Even how beautiful the sunset was this morning, and how, how beautiful a, a sunrise, and how the sunset in Lake Erie is so gorgeous, and we love the nature. According to scripture, it is in dull colors right now. Someday, when Jesus returns, he will bring a new heaven and new earth with him. And that world will be so vibrant, so beautiful, so much more better. Food will taste better. Food will have less calories. I can't prove that, but I'm hoping so. <laughs> it is going to be this world where we will enjoy. That it will be incredible and beautiful and restored back to its wholeness again. We're going back to the beginning when Jesus said, or God said it was good. At the end of that verse, it says that he is coming to judge the earth. And he is. He's coming back to judge. And while we look at that and say, really God, I don't really like that part about you. 
We need him to judge. There have been some things that have happened to you in your life that God is saying to you, as judge, I will not let them get away with that. We all crave justice, especially when injustice happens to us or other people. We need a God that will judge. But that doesn't mean that we're going to get out of that as well. He's going to judge us. If you're like me, I've hurt other people. Still hurting other people. He is coming to judge me as well. But here's the thing. Jesus, when he dies on the cross, he took on sin, shame, death, but he also takes on God's wrath, God's judgment. He has Jesus take that in my place, which means even though I deserve judgment for what I have done to God and to other people, Jesus says, I will take it for you. Though he comes to judge, Jesus absorbs it. That's why the the, the one, Isaac Watts, who, who wrote this song, says he rules the world with truth and grace. And he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And I love this part. No more, no more. Imagine this world. No more. Let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Aren't you longing for a world like this? You see, the reason you and I can sing joy to the world is because right now we are going through so much and yet God is saying, I have a plan and I am bringing that plan to you someday. A new heaven and a new earth where all the sin, all the shame, all death itself will be gone. So no, that does not solve my back pain today. That does not solve your grief. It does not solve all of the things that you're going through. But do you know what it does? God is saying, what you are going through, I see it. I have a plan for it. And it's not the end chapter. Because you know what the end chapter is? It's in Revelation. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come out and I want to sing this joy to the world. And before we do, I want us to look ahead to hope so that can help us believe today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually say this first part. Actually, you know what? I want you to stand with me. Stand with me. I'm going to say what's in the white. And when you start to see the yellow, I want you to join in with me. John, he is cast, cast out to this island of Patmos and God allows him to see this vision of hope in the midst of pain. He's looking ahead. It doesn't solve John's issue now, but he sees what's coming. And he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. Then say this part with me. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Why can we sing joy to the world in the midst of our pain? Because of this. We have hope. 
joy to the world.